Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer. So he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shit does, he might fight you. Even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. Second worst writer in the world. The second worst writer in the world. He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. Welcome to the worst writer in the world with me, Rufus, and he's eating grass. He's got <laughs> wool on him. He's saying bah. Yay. It's Howard Long. <laughs> Thank you to the British Comedy Guide for hosting this show. Thanks to all of our lovely patrons on Patreon for supporting this show. And thanks to you for listening to this show. So good. So, Howard, do you feel like listening to another chapter in The Adventure of the Very Bad Dog with Greg Binchleave? Yes, please. The plot so far. Wow. No, that was that wasn't deliberate. <laughs> Tom Baker's not in it. Oh. The plot. The plot so far. <laughs> Hello. K9, I'm going to do a plot yeah, so I'm far. Going to now. do a plot so far. No, here we go. Once upon a time, there was a very bad dog. <laughs> so bad, in fact, that it was forced to live in Uranus, where it couldn't get up to any mischief. One day, however, it hatched a clever plan to escape from Uranus. <sighs> also known as Chapter 1 of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. Once upon another time, Captain Nick T. Bundy went up Uranus in a spaceship <laughs> to investigate whether there were lots of aliens living up there. <laughs> what he found instead was Gret Binchleaf in a cave. Mm. And before Nick could say, I'll give you a lift home, Gret stole his spaceship and left Nick Bundy stranded up Uranus with only fat Doctor Who for company. <laughs> Because Gret Binchleaf is the actual worst human in the universe. Seriously, he only does things that benefit him, no matter how many people get hurt or killed, and spends all his time shouting about how good he is and how clever and successful he is, despite the fact that everyone can see he isn't. Imagine if Gret Binchleaf became president of the USA. What would that be like? <laughs> Imagine that. Go on. Imagine. <laughs> and that was also known as Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Shit President, uh, I mean Bad Dog, Chapter 2. Mm. Once upon a third time, Howard wrote 5,000 words insulting Dominic <laughs> Benitti. And it was one of his most enjoyable, funny, well-crafted, imaginative and downright brilliant chapters of Gret Binchleaf ever. So from now on, I think we can all agree Howard's chapters should focus on insulting Dominic Maniti. <laughs> because when yeah. you find the thing you excel at, you should stick with it. <laughs> but the main thing to take from Howard's chapter right now is, although many exciting and compelling events took place in it, at the end, a crab fell off Gret's face and it had all <laughs> been a hallucination. Oh, yeah. Because... Me and Howard watched that awful Christmas episode of Doctor Who the week before. And Howard doesn't care whether you lot get his references as long as I do. But then, if you can't even be bothered to watch the same things we do, then it's your own fault, isn't it? Mm, mm, mm. And 
We recently realised that this may be why people sometimes call us surrealists when we know we definitely aren't. <laughs> it's because they don't get the many obscure references we make and so they think we're just sticking random stuff in. And then a crab fell off his face and it had all been a dream. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that does sound pretty surreal. But it's a Doctor Who reference. One of the most popular TV shows in the world. It doesn't get much more mainstream than that, yeah, you Yeah, see. Yes. All right. So it was a reference to a Christmas special from four years ago mm. that we didn't particularly remember until we watched it, so why should you? But shut up. You're the morons, actually. What do you want? <laughs> a bibliography? And that was also known as Chapter 3 of Crep Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. And because I believe in responding to exactly what Howard says in his chapters and not cheating, and because the last line of Howard's chapter said, a crab fell off Gret's face and none of it had happened, this chapter will start with Gret still in the spaceship coming back <laughs> down from Uranus. This chapter, which will also be known as Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog... Chapter 4. Too many Grets spoil the binch. <laughs> the continuing adventures of Gret Binchleaf, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. Henry Robert Hutch. <laughs> what? That's his name. Henry. Henry Robert Hutch. <laughs> I just thought it was a funny name. Yeah. Henry Robert Hutch pulled the lever that made his spaceship stop moving. It was probably the reverse thrusters or something. Mm. Or maybe it was some kind of future technology with a stupid name, like quantum anchor. <laughs> you know, when authors take a science word and a regular word and put them together in a way that doesn't make sense, like photon torpedo mm. or interplanetary banana. Yeah. Anyway, Henry Robert Hutch parked his spaceship is what happened. Then he activated his ship's grabbing device, mm. a big mechanical arm that stuck up from the roof and bent over with a huge claw at the end. A bit like one of those soft toy grabbing games you get at a fairgrounds, <laughs> but bigger and in space. And it didn't grab teddy bears. That would be ridiculous. Who constructs a huge mechanical arm on a spaceship whose only purpose is to pick up fluffy bunny rabbits? That would be like building a new car, then at the last minute deciding to glue spatulas all over it. I mean, sure, it looks cool. Who doesn't want a car covered in spatulas? Who doesn't want the nickname That Spatula Car Idiot? <laughs> but I'll tell you this, you'll regret it next time you're frying an egg and when you want to flip it, you have to go outside and get your car. Mm. No, Henry Robert Hutch's spaceship had a grabber attached to it because Henry was a space rag and bone man. Ooh. Bits of broken old space debris were his bread and butter. Not literally, <laughs> obviously. Unlike Henry's dad, who owned a bakery which also sold homemade dairy spreads. Mm. So for Henry's dad, bread and butter were his bread and butter. No, for Henry the saying was metaphorical. Like for Henry's uncle Bob, <laughs> who was a theatrical agent who only represented one client. A speciality man and dog act in which the man was called Fred mm. and the performing dog whose main skill was eating loads of peanuts and then jumping, <laughs> was called Nutter. So for Henry's Uncle Bob, Fred and Nutter were his bread and butter. <laughs> now that is an example yeah. of a joke that absolutely would have got cut, except for the fact that I liked the line, whose main skill was eating loads of peanuts and then jumping. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. That's the only reason it's It's a good life. job it didn't get cut, because that's going to get repeated next week, but with a different thing that rhymes. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Chapter 5, nailed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Henry activated his grabber, grabbed the derelict spaceship that was floating around near Saturn, and dragged it into his own <gasps> ship's loading bay. Bonza, he said, oh. in his totally authentic spaceman accent. Right, I'm off to have a gander at the old crate. Are you coming, Chewie? Or are you going to stay here combing your face? <laughs> the strange hairy being that Henry called Chewie looked up from its knitting, opened its mouth and went, Jeez, Henry, stop calling me Chewie, would you? My name's Elizabeth, you festering space drongo. <laughs> they unclasped their space harnesses and Henry began the slow, magnetic-booted walk down to the loading bay, with Elizabeth hopping awkwardly behind him. I know that, love, said Henry. I was trying out a cute pet name, like Sweetie or Pookums. Hmm. Henry stepped and Elizabeth hopped into the elevator and the doors creaked closed behind them. So why not call me Lizzie Pops or Betty Boos? Said Elizabeth. Betty Boobs? I quite like that one. <laughs> boos, not boobs, you slithering space chauvinist. Betty Boos. Nah, I think I'll stick with Chewy if it's all the same with you. But why, Henry? Why'd you look at me, your loving wife and business partner, and think, Chewy, is it my unusually hairy face? <laughs> no, love. You remember that time we got stranded in deep space and we ran out of food? Because you ate all the salad stuff. <laughs> like I said at the time, it wasn't me. Space rabbits chewed their way into the food cupboard. Then why were there no rabbit holes in the cupboard or the hull of the ship, Henry? I told you that too. It's because space rabbits shit walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they shit walls? Yeah, so if they eat a hole in your wall, then shit a wall. It's like they've never been there. You're a fucking moron, Henry. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one who doesn't know that space rabbits shit walls. <laughs> Henry, what's this got to do with you calling me Chewy? <laughs> yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> You remember we ran out of food and we were starving and so we flipped a coin and you lost and so we ate your leg. <laughs> How could I forget, Henry? You said it was heads we eat my leg and tails we eat my other leg. <laughs> yeah, and it came up tails and so we ate your other leg, fair and square. And do you know what I learned about you that night? That I'm a real pushover when it comes to people wanting to eat my legs. <laughs> said Elizabeth. <laughs> no, I learned that you're chewy. Right, flaming chewy. I was picking bits of you out of my teeth for weeks. Seriously, you might want to look after your meat better in case we need to eat your other leg. <laughs> the elevator clanked to a stop and the doors groaned as they slid open. Henry stepped out into the loading bay, Elizabeth hopping behind him, and gave the salvage spaceship an appraising gaze. How much do you reckon this pile of old junk will be worth, Henry? Do you think it'll be enough to buy our daughter back from that space witch? <laughs> oh, we're getting a sequel for a post. <laughs> the thing is, you know I told you that the first draft was a lot shorter. Yeah. Henry didn't have a wife in draft one. It right. was just Henry. Uh, in fact, it was called Keith. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was called Keith, and he and he had a. He was a space rag and bone man, and he basically found a spaceship, and none of this was in it whatsoever. Mm. And then I thought, what if I do him as an Australian? And then what if Elizabeth's in it as well? <laughs> and I wrote this whole scene. Henry picked up his crowbar and set about prizing the craft's hatch open. I sure hope so, Chewy, he said. But we won't know until we get inside. Henry leaned his weight on the crowbar until the hatch popped open and the stale air from inside hit his nostrils like a missile full of old eggs and skunks. Mm. Flaming crikey, what a whiff! Smells like something died in there. Then came back to life, spent about two weeks farting, then died again. Something's definitely dead in there, said Elizabeth, and it's your turn to clear up the corpse. 
Me? Since when? I flipped a coin just now when you weren't looking. You lost. Unfair dinkum. Yeah, and I flipped another coin to see if I should punch you in the face. <laughs> and? Elizabeth's fist hit Henry's face with such force he felt sure it had left a dent. Next time he looked in the mirror, he'd have a concave face. He might as well get used to being called Bowlface and letting his drunk mates eat cereal out of his face. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth hopped off to the elevator while Henry stepped into the foul-smelling ship, covering his nose with his large space glove. He made his way to the cockpit. <laughs> that's, that's true, though, right? They have large space gloves on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. He made his way to the cockpit and there found the source of the stench. A body lying back in the pilot's seat. A steaming, squirting, sweating body from which the acrid, repulsive smell was coming. The stink was so bad, Henry felt like his nose might fall clean off. His eyes were streaming and bile was <laughs> rising in his throat. But through the tears, he realised something deeply disturbing about the festering cadaver. It wasn't dead. It was unconscious, utterly still, and had a crab stuck on its face. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> End of your chapter, you said the crab came off his face, but you really didn't say how or what was around him. All you said was the crab came off his face. Yeah. So I'm um, just uh, um, embellishing that mm -hmm. scene. Fucking space crabs, said Henry, and punched the crab off the man's face and onto the floor, where it twitched for a moment, then disintegrated into dust. Because that's a logical life cycle, isn't it? <laughs> Eat face while excreting a hallucinatory world, then fall off and disintegrate. Mm. Yeah, well done, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> that makes about as much sense as Daleks spinning around and exploding every time they make a mistake. <laughs> Henry watched as the man slowly opened his eyes, peered blearily around at the spaceship, then sat bolt upright in his chair, grabbed Henry by the jacket and yelled, What did he find? Tell me, what did the dog find? <laughs> Calm down, mate, there's no dogs here, said Henry. You've been having a crab dream. Look! Henry pointed at the pile of black dust on the floor. <laughs> the man stared at it for a moment, then said, Fucking space crabs. <laughs> you mean none of that stuff about Dominic Maniti being an utter chin banana actually <laughs> happened? Listen, mate, I don't know about any Dominic Meaty, said Henry. I mean, from his name, he sounds like a useless bucket of dog sick. Yeah! The type of bloke who cooks and eats grass. <laughs> The kind of Charlie who can't even be bothered to divorce his wife when she turns out to be a dud. <laughs> the sort of fella who probably doesn't like this chapter because we're already ten minutes in and the only character he likes only just turned up. That's very insightful, said the man, because he's exactly like that, only worse. <laughs> there was a crackle on Henry's intercom, followed by Elizabeth's voice saying... Henry, Henry, we just got a message on the Space CB radio. <laughs> I didn't know we had one of those, said Henry. <laughs> what was the message? It was a bit unclear at first, said Elizabeth's voice. There were a lot of banging sounds, a kind of bang, fuddy, bang. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that bang. <laughs> then a voice said, duh. <laughs> What's he saying, boss? <laughs> and then another voice said, <laughs> well, the brick. <laughs> And then another voice yeah. said, Well, the brick, he's <laughs> saying, It's just space interference, Chewy, <laughs> said Henry. Yeah. Ignore it. Yeah. But it sounded important. Henry flicked off the communication switch on his intercom and turned his attention back to the smelly spaceman. Mm. Who are you, mate? said, oh no, yeah. 
<laughs> Who are you, mate? He said. And what are you doing floating around in a dead spaceship with a crab on your face? <laughs> I'm Gret Binchleaf, said the man. I'm the world's greatest detective. If you don't count all the other detectives <laughs> and also about 90% of the people who aren't detectives. <laughs> Which I don't because they're an absolute bunch of plonkberries. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I said plonkberries. I know I don't know what it means, but I'm pretty sure it's bad. If someone offered me a plonkberry pie, I'd say no and then punch them to a cliff edge. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, mate. My name's Henry Robert Hutch. My, 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 what a beautiful name. <laughs> said Gret, suddenly coy. Now, I know what you're thinking, Henry Robert Hutch. <laughs> you're thinking... Four? Great Binchleaf, you yeah. stinky bastard. Don't you ever have a shower? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, Sonny. I'd love a shower. I'd love not to smell like a sack of dead pigs that someone stuffed up a donkey's bum hole. <laughs> but I've been in space for 40 years and there's not an abundance of bathrooms up here. Brilliant. There's one on your ship, said Henry, and pointed at an open door about a metre behind them. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, said Gret, heaving himself out of the pilot's seat with a sound like 50 rolls of duct tape being pulled open at once. <laughs> I'm busting for a dump. It's not easy holding it for ten years, you know, especially after you've eaten all the chips twice. Gret lumbered over to the bathroom with all the elegance and grace of a dinosaur rolling down a hill. Hey, any chance you could give me a lift to Earth? He said before closing the door. You can have my rubbish old spaceship as payment. Earth? said Henry. I wouldn't recommend it. When was the last time you were there? About forty years ago. I got stranded on Uranus by a dog. A lot's changed, mate. A whole lot's changed. How bad can it be? I've spent the last ten years having a crab dream about Dominic fucking Maniti. <laughs> Two hours later, Gret had done a shit so large it had become <laughs> a new moon for Jupiter, and Henry and Elizabeth's ship was landing on the planet known to a fairly small percentage of its inhabitants as Earth. The journey should have taken another seven years, but Henry's ship was fitted with a plasma quark accelerator, so go fuck yourself. Yeah. The loading hatch opened and Gret Binchleaf squeezed through, setting foot on his home planet for the first time in 40 years. Henry had landed the ship in a place called Green Park, which Gret thought was a stupid name, because what other colour is a park going to be, you park idiot? On the bright side, it was next to something called Buckingham Palace, a name of which Gret heard only one syllable. Yeah. Ham, you say? Sounds like my kind of place. I once knew some ham. He was called Roger. And he was in a sandwich I ate. We had some great times together, me and Roger, in the minute or so it took me to eat him. <laughs> Gret had become quite nostalgic over the memory of that ham. Yeah. I also know a pig called Dagenham for ten years, but that's a less <laughs> interesting story. Yeah. Now, as Gret exited the park onto a street called Piccadilly for some reason, footnote, it's because the land once belonged to a tailor called Robert Baker who specialised in Piccadils, a type of wide lace collar like they wear in Blackadder II. Yeah. And so as he onto Piccadilly, he noticed that there was absolutely no ham anywhere to be seen. But there was something odd about this ancient city, which was this. The buildings, billboards, lampposts and windows were covered with pictures of the same man. From poster-sized portraits on shopfronts to towering images spread over the sides of buildings, the same image was everywhere. It depicted simply an enormous face. The face of a man with a heavy black moustache and ruggedly handsome features whose eyes seemed to follow you wherever you moved. It was a face Gret didn't recognise, an unfamiliar face, which made it even odder that underneath the pictures, in large black letters, were the words, 
Gret Binchleaf is watching you. Mm. Monkeys! <laughs> yelled Gret as he ran down the street. Monkeys have taken over! That must have been way longer than I thought because everyone's a monkey now! Monkeys! Monkeys hadn't taken over. In fact, Gret had seen someone with a beard and overreacted. <laughs> Hey, you monkey man, said Gret, <laughs> grabbing a woman. Is this Earth? Is this London? It looks like London, but it's full of monkeys. Save me. <laughs> Save me from the monkeys. Please don't, said the woman. I'm a good citizen. I practice Gret Think. I believe in the values of Binge Sock. I love Gret Binchleaf. Gret let go of the woman, stuck a finger up his nose and had a good scratch, hoping that he'd find the on switch to his brain up there and all this would start <laughs> making sense. <laughs> well, of course you do, he said. <laughs> I'm strangely magnetic to women, or womagnetic, as I like to call yes. it, and do womagnetic! Yes. The woman flinched as Gret shouted in her face. <laughs> and even Gret couldn't help but notice that she didn't seem all that enchanted by him. Actually, she looked terrified. Is there a problem here, brother? said a deep, commanding voice at Gret's ear. Gret turned his head and found five uniformed officers, several with truncheons already in hand, waiting for him to reply. Brother? said Gret. I think you might have made a mistake. You can't be my brother. He died in an unfortunate car accident <laughs> after I tied him to a lamppost and drove my car into him. <laughs> <laughs> you murdered your own brother. I was provoked. He interrupted my theme tune. <laughs> your theme tune? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> Binch leave! Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
He noticed their uniforms had the meaningless word ThinkPol on the left breast, and what Gret supposed must be their names underneath. What are you saying about Gret Binchleaf? stammered the one who appeared to be in charge and whose shirt read O'Brien. I'm saying he's a flipping genius, has never been wrong about anything, has no faults whatsoever, and, I might have mentioned, he has beautiful bum skin. <laughs> Gret considered dropping his trousers and showing them, <laughs> but something told him this was not the right moment. <laughs> then, I suppose, that's good, said <laughs> O'Brien uncertainly. That dribbling wasmelon, on the other hand, <laughs> said Gret, gesturing at the many pictures, looks like the inside of a chicken. And I should know, I've been there. <laughs> Gret felt a heavy iron cuff close around his wrist. Then his other arm was wrenched behind him and a second cuff closed around it. What are you doing? He demanded. This wasn't the first time he'd been arrested, but he'd usually at least murdered someone first. <laughs> we are taking you to the place where there is no darkness said O'Brien. A lamp shop? <laughs> said Grant. No, we're not taking you to a lamp shop. That's a relief. I hate lamps, short idiots, lurking in the corner of the room trying to make you read books. I had a lamp once, it was useless. Didn't even light up when I pressed it. Someone said I should put a bulb in it, but I couldn't work out where. And when I tried, when I tried, it ran off and hid in the wardrobe. And it used to break into my fridge and eat all the food. I tell you, that's the last time I get a lamp from the monkey house at the zoo. <laughs> Gret frowned, an expression that made him look like he was about to lay an egg. <laughs> Hang on a minute, that wasn't a lamp, it was a gorilla! <laughs> <laughs> See, basically I wrote this like like parody of 1984 with a bunch of other stuff going on and I was really bored by it, so I just went through and put a load of dumb shit in. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. <clears throat> Hang on a minute. That wasn't a lamp. It was a gorilla. <laughs> Two of the officers grabbed Gret by the ears and shoved him along the street. But where are you taking me? <laughs> Gret whimpered. <laughs> we are taking you to the Ministry of Love, said O'Brien. I bet you are. Bagged yourself, a... <laughs> yourself a real packet of man biscuits here, haven't you? <laughs> Want to get me back to your love shack and nibble on me, do you? Want to peel back my wrapper, take my leg off, dip it in your tea and eat it, do you? Want to smear chocolate all over me and feed half of me to a dog, do you? Want to crumble me up with butter and use me as the base of a cheesecake, do you? What are you talking about? I don't know. I lost control of that biscuit metaphor quite a long time ago. But I thought if I kept talking, maybe I'd remember what I was banging on about. Bit like life, really. <laughs> you lose control of it in the early stages, then spend the rest of your time randomly doing stuff in the hope things will eventually click into place. O'Brien unhooked the truncheon from his belt and hit Gret hard in the head with it knocking him out cold, leaving a slight dent in Gret's skull and causing a concussive brain injury that rendered Gret 13% less intelligent and coordinated. <laughs> because you can't hit someone in the back of the head with a heavy object and expect no consequences. People in TV and movies knock each other out on a regular basis, then 20 minutes later get up and carry on as if they just had a pleasant nap. In real life, that'll either kill you or leave you brain damaged, probably for the rest of your life. 
and I should know. When I was 20, I got hit in the back of the head with a heavy object called the floor. <laughs> and I fractured the base of my skull, had concussion for six months, and lost my sense of smell. So think about that next time you're watching some hero being a security guard unconscious because he wants to use his keys. <laughs> that guy was just doing his minimum wage job, and now he'll never really enjoy food again, spend half a year bursting into tears for no reason, yeah. and he'll never be 100% sure whether his friends really like him or only stick with him because he's the only one who doesn't realise they stink. <sighs> Still, enough of that. Let's get back to this totally original story. The torture of Gret Binchleaf lasted for months, as O'Brien and his subordinates tried a hundred different ways to break him. They stretched him, stuck pins in him, starved him, threw lobsters at him, hung him upside down, hammered nails into his face, put crabs up his bum, made him watch Trial of a Time Law with Colin Baker <laughs> over and over again, oh, deprived him of sleep, set fire to him and cheese grated his penis. Mm. Gret was unfazed by it all. I just spent 30 years living in a cave on Uranus with no food, no oxygen and only some rocks for friends. A little tear appeared on Gret's cheek. I do miss them. <laughs> Especially rock prostitute. <laughs> he was my favourite. And now he's a million miles away and I've got no way to contact him. Tears were streaming down Gret's face now. At least I left him a little something to remember me by. Gret paused, looking up at O'Brien. Herpes, <laughs> he said. I left him with her peas. Then again, since Rock Prostitute was a boy rock, I should probably call them his peas. <laughs> Gret blinked at O'Brien. <laughs> his peas, he said again. I don't know why I bother making jokes. You thought police bozos never appreciate them. <laughs> O'Brien tightened the thumb screws. Do you know where you are? He said. Rubbish world, <laughs> said Gret. Did I take a wrong turn on my way back from Uranus and end up on Rubbish World, where everything's rubbish and everyone is rubbish? No, you are in the Ministry of Love. I'll have three kilograms then, said Gret. <laughs> ha ha bonk. <laughs> you have to laugh, don't you? That's what my friend Bobo says. You have to laugh, she says, because if you don't laugh, I'll fucking shoot you. <laughs> She's a very aggressive clown. <laughs> Do you know how long you have been here? A million years? Feels like a million years. I'm so bored. You don't even have proper telly here. There's a TV in every room, but all it shows is that ugly bloke's face. <laughs> Except when you put Trial of a Time Lord on. That was good. <laughs> Colin Baker's my favourite Doctor Who. He understands the importance of shouting. Can you tell me your name? Said O'Brien. Gret Pinchleaf, world's greatest detective and pigeon fancier. Mm. And I quite fancy a pigeon right now, with ketchup. Mm. Mm. Then who is the gentleman on the TV screen? I don't know, some skinny moron. He is Gret Binchleaf. He is our leader, the best among us, the big Binchleaf. And if he's Gret Binchleaf, that still leaves the question. Who are you? I'm Gret Binchleaf, the detective who solved the mystery of who ate all the chips it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Very well, said O'Brien. Then the time has come to take the final step. He looked up at the two guards, standing quietly by the door. Room 101, he said. What's in room 101? <laughs> Asked Gret. You know what is in room 101. 
Everyone knows what is in Room 101, said O'Brien. Room 101 is where we make the pies. They strapped Gret to a gurney and wheeled him down corridor after corridor. All the way, Gret pleaded with them not to put him in room 101, or in Gret's words, Not the pie room! (laughs) Anything but the pie room! But despite his whining and snotty tears, before long they came to a stop outside a door bearing the numbers 101. A guard opened the door, and the warm smell of freshly baked pastry billowed out. Don't put me in the pie room, Gret cried. Do it to someone else. Torture Susan instead of me. I never really loved her anyway. I mean, (laughs) she is dead, but maybe you can time travel and torture her when she was a kid. No, okay, okay. torture my little brother, Dick. Oh, no, he's dead as well. Torture my son, Charlie. No, wait, dead. Torture my mum. No, no, dead. One of my wives. No, better not get started on that one. <laughs> the trolley began to move forwards towards the pies into the worst place in the world. Why is everyone I care about dead? Yelled Gret. Selfish bastards, just when I need them to get tortured in my place. <laughs> the trolley slid into the room. First Gret's feet, then his legs, surrounded by pies. Soon he'd be all the way in, and they'd close the door, and Gret would utterly lose his mind. Wait. It was O'Brien's voice, rushing into the corridor with a last-minute stay of execution, or expicution, as Gret liked to call it, and did expicution, <laughs> he whimpered. <laughs> New orders, said O'Brien. He's not going into room 101. We're sending him upstairs. He's going to see the big binch leaf. After an elevator ride so boring it could have been written by J.R.R. Tolkien, (laughs) the doors... The doors slid open and Gret walked out into a large, luxurious, quite open plan penthouse apartment. It didn't so much have big windows as walls made of glass and Gret could see the familiar rooftops of London far below and even some pictures of the huge-faced imposter bearing the legend, Gret Binchleaf is watching you. He bloody isn't, mumbled (laughs) Gret. It should say Gret Binchleaf couldn't give a bollock about you. The elevator shaft stuck up into the middle of the room, as there was no wall for it to be set into. To the side of it was another, slightly different elevator shaft, jutting into the room like an impertinent cupboard. Gret looked around the unoccupied apartment, seeing purple armchairs, rugs so thick they might have been sleeping pandas, and a kitchen area to one side which sported a large and promising fridge. "'Where the dog-shaped dildo am I?' he demanded loudly to the empty room. "'You are at the very top!' Of the Ministry of Love, said a voice. At the apex of its great pyramid, when you were last on Earth, I expect people still called it the Shard. (sighs) Gret glanced around the empty room and detected that it was both empty and empty. Is there someone there? said Gret, beginning to feel a little nervous. Yes, I'm here. (laughs) Are you invisible? Are you... A spooky ghost? (laughs) No, I'm not a spooky ghost. I'm right here in front of you. I can't see you, which must mean you're invisible. (laughs) Like my friend Lynn. Lynn Visible. Who's invisible? Which actually makes her name Mrs. Visible a misnomer. Unlike my other friend, Miss Noma, who is an actual gnome. (laughs) 
I'm not invisible and I'm not a gnome. That's good. I don't need any more people standing in my garden holding a fishing rod. <laughs> Will you shut your vacillating cake hole and look at me? But where? <laughs> Gret pleaded of the empty room. <laughs> look down, you perforated poltroons. Gret tilted his head forwards and at his feet discovered an angry-looking dwarf shaking his fist. <laughs> you must be grumpy, said Gret to the dwarf. My name is not Grumpy. What should I call you then? Dwarfy, shorty, or really annoying pillocky? <laughs> you can call me, said the dwarf, pausing for effect. Titch, said Gret, rather <laughs> ruining the drama. Here, do you know a wizard? <laughs> no, said the dwarf. You can call me Gret Binchleaf. <laughs> You're not Gret Binchleaf, said Gret Binchleaf. Shall I tell you how I know that? Because there's only one Gret Binchleaf, and that's me. Well, unless you count that time Jimberly turned into me. <laughs> then there were two. Or when Henrietta drew a picture of me and it came to life, stuck a magic pencil in its head and went evil. Or that time Inuku got shapeshifted into me and sent back in time to annoy himself. <laughs> or that parallel universe version of me with the eye patch and a parrot on his shoulder. I still hear his voice sometimes. <laughs> In my head, late at night, saying, bang, thuddy, bang, bang. <laughs> thud, thud, bang. Then I hear another voice that says, duh, what's he saying, boss? And then a third voice says, well, the brick, he's saying, is there a point to this? <laughs> Gret looked at the dwarf and raised an eyebrow coquettishly. I know what you're thinking, <laughs> he said. You're thinking, four Gret Binchleys. <laughs> I wouldn't say no to a quick man orgy with them. A Gret Binchleaf gangbang, or a binch bang, as I like to call it. And do, binch bang! <laughs> the dwarf stamped his foot in a way that completely failed to get Gret's attention. Do you know who I am? He shouted. Yes, said Gret. You, you do? Yeah, I recognise your stupid face. That's hardly surprising. My picture is on coins, on stamps, on the covers of books, on banners, on posters, and on the wrappings of a cigarette packet. Everywhere. No, it's not that. I remember you from years ago, said Gret. There's one thing you can say about Gret Binchleaf. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's quite a few things you can say about <laughs> Gret Binchleaf. Like, he's the galaxy's greatest detective. He's never more than ten feet away from a chip. <laughs> he doesn't know the difference between a horse and a dog. He's really good at bricks. He's been kidnapped by space aliens on no less than five different occasions. He's really good at horseback riding. Everyone he's ever cared about is dead or on another planet. He's never read a book, but he's written 39. All about a hot shit detective called Gret Binchleaf. <laughs> he owns a lot of flat dogs. Because of all those times he wanted to go horse riding, but accidentally sat on a dog instead. Is there a point to this fatuity? Fat meaty said Gret, <laughs> looking a little hurt. Yes. Yes, there's a point. You know how some people say they never forget a face? Yes. Well, that's not true about me. I always forget faces. Sometimes I forget faces so much I forget what they are. And then I get really confused about what that collection of lumps and holes on the front of a person's <laughs> head is and why it keeps telling me to go away. But there's one thing I never forget. And that is... I never forget a dwarf. <laughs> what? That's just the sort of brain I have. Very good at remembering dwarfs and nothing else. <laughs> and I remember you. You're the kid who used to live in the apartment opposite mine before I got kidnapped off to Uranus by someone or other because of something or other. 
You're the kid who was always bothering me. Oh, Mr. Binchleaf, tell me another one of your cases, please. <laughs> tell me the one with Henrietta and Dagenham in, please. <laughs> tell me the one where Gret Binchleaf says, bang, thuddy, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> and then the prick says... <laughs> 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 What's he saying, boss? And then Lucas Lowry says, well, the brick, he's saying, you really do have a good memory. <laughs> For dwarfs, yes. And that's how I know you're not Gret Binchleaf. You're the kid who used to live next door. You're little Benji Shilato. <laughs> ben Shilato sighed and seemed to deflate a little, like a short, disappointed balloon. Yes, yes, I suppose I am, he said. <laughs> and you're the real Gret Binchleaf, returned after more than 40 years. I may not be quick, but I get there in the end, said Gret, except when I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you'd like to know why I took your name and used it to become ruler of this sad little world. Not really, said Gret. <laughs> I bet you'll tell me anyway, though, won't you, flipping villains? You're all the same. Oh, let me tell you my plan in long, boring detail. <laughs> Fine, fill your boots. It won't take long, what with your boots being so small because you're a dwarf. <laughs> I'll be over here by the fridge. <laughs> Gret walked over to the kitchen area, yanked open the fridge, and started unloading it into his pockets and mouth. <laughs> I saw an opportunity and took it, said Ben Shillito. Or Ben Shortlito, as Gret liked to call him, and did Ben Shortlito! <laughs> Excuse me, said Ben Shortlito. <laughs> oh, nothing. Sometimes I like to shout things after I think them, said Gret. Spooky boot monsters! <laughs> Gret shuddered, then stuffed half a kilogram of cheese in his mouth. As I was saying, said Ben, I saw an opportunity and took it. What, the opportunity to put a hat on and pretend to be me? No! Well, yes, but not just that. I saw the opportunity to rule the whole world, and all I needed to do was put a hat on and pretend to be you. But I don't rule the world, Gret pointed out as he pulled a lemon cake from the fridge and grabbed a handful. I'm just a maverick, plays by his own rules, tells it like it is, detective who always gets his man, has an unusually large and good penis, and <laughs> definitely isn't scared of boobs. <laughs> you... Always get your man, said Ben Shortlito. Yeah, if by always you mean 3% of the time. <laughs> and by man, you also mean woman, skeleton and ancient crab biggening god. <laughs> the point is, no matter how bum-shatteringly brilliant I am, I don't rule the world. You didn't. But humanity came to a point when they felt like they had tried everything else. They'd been let down by human leaders, by reptilian leaders, by that chicken who wore a top hat, <laughs> by the angry chimp who wanted to have sex with his own daughter. <laughs> they elected a shark, a hairy spider, a bee. They tried an octopus, a packet of hobnobs, and a rock called Rock President. <laughs> I doubt a president has ever been hounded from office quicker. Except maybe when that dog was president. He was hounded from office awfully quickly. <laughs> Can I interrupt you to say, I don't care, please shut up? <laughs> but I'm just getting to the point. About bleeding time. You see, the people realised they'd tried everything. They'd been let down by crocodiles and monkeys and that rock... Rock president. Rock president, yes. <laughs> they realised there was only one type of creature they hadn't tried. A Gret Binchleaf. Mm. I am genetically unique, said Gret. Did you know I'm now only 6% human? <laughs> Professor Doctor Who tested me with a sonic screwdriver. I won't tell you where she stuck it, wouldn't you like to know, big boy? <laughs> 
I've been reborn and rebuilt and genetically dicked about with so often there's not much of the original me left. Mm. Did I tell you about that time my friend Jeff Goldblum asked me to try his teleportation <laughs> machine? <laughs> Suddenly, Gret had a flashback. Now, cast him, cast said Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> I've got some bad news, Gret. Oh no, you've turned me into an eye pie, haven't you? Jeff Goldblum flustered his wings and clacked his mandibles. <laughs> There's no such thing as a, an eye pie, Gret, he said. There is. It's a pie with eyes. So if you put it next to a mirror, it can look at itself and understand that it's a pie. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen to a person. Mandula, you evil genius. You're not a, an eye pie, Gret. <laughs> Said Joff, said Jeff Goldblum. Joff. <laughs> you got him, Joff. Said Jeff Goldblum. But something did go wrong with the experiment. What happened, Jeff Goldblum? You can tell me. You are my BFF. Footnote, big fucking fly. <laughs> when you got into the teleportation booth, something else got in with you. What? A fly? A spider? Some kind of ant? A crab. <laughs> what? Actually, it was more than one crab. Fifty crabs <laughs> got in with you and we didn't notice. <laughs> Who doesn't notice fifty crabs? <laughs> they were quite small crabs. <laughs> anyway, you're now half man, half crab. <laughs> Which half of me is crab? Oscret. The bottom half. <laughs> my legs and bum. That's my second favourite half. <laughs> Wait a minute. My legs look normal. <laughs> they may look like human legs, but they're 100% crab. <laughs> Imagine if you got loads of crabs and glued them together in the shape of uh, human legs. That's what, that's what you've got. And my penis <laughs> is now a crab, yes. <laughs> it's got pincers and everything. So I can pick things up with it. That, that could come in useful. What about my sweet ass? It's also now 100% crab. So you could say, from now on, Gret Binchleaf will always be sitting on a crab. Oh. Oh, cast theory, cast theory. <laughs> Said Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, you could say that, but it's probably best never to mention it. People might get confused and call you a, a surrealist, even though it makes scientific sense, as proved by the world's greatest scientist, Jeff Goldblum. Cast theory, cast theory. <laughs> then Jeff Goldblum was sick on his dinner and his ear fell off the end. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's brilliant. Especially like the way that the penguin played Jeff Goldblum. It's like a surprising character choice. As always, any time I do impressions, it is always me doing an impression of you doing an impression of the person. I don't worry about what Jeff Goldblum sounds like. I just remember your impression and then yeah. do a bad impression of no, that. That was brilliant. No, it sounded exactly like my impression. It sounds a bit like, actually, it's a bit more like Skeletor than, um, than the penguin, isn't it? Well, that's that's because Jeff Goldblum got in his um, in his transportation device and didn't notice that a skeleton got in. A skeleton got in there. And that's why Skeletor's not 100% skeleton. I mean, you never know a skeleton getting because it's inside you, right? I mean, you always get in with a skeleton. And then you turn into a skeleton. You know? yeah, yeah. That's the downside of dying, all... isn't it? Of, um, of yeah, all teleportation. Back 
Back in the here and now, Gret had eaten everything in the large fridge and was looking for some pizza to wash it down with. Mm. I brought you here for a reason, Gret, said Ben Chilito, the dwarf. I want you to meet my friend, Joost Ferberdoog. <laughs> Joost Ferberdoog? Yes, he's Dutch or something. Come on, let's take my private elevator. Mm. Ben Shillishort walked over to the second elevator, which stuck up from the floor like an oversized telephone box made of wood, and opened the door with a key. Why is it blue? <laughs> asked Gret. It's not blue, shut up. It is, it's blue and it's got a flashing light on top. <laughs> it's just a normal elevator, now be quiet. It says TARDIS on it here. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Professor Doctor Who, admitted Ben Shillito, and so is my wife, Amanda. You really do want to be like me, don't you, said Gret. You even got yourself a wife with man in her name. <laughs> Look, here's a picture of my wife, Mangela. <laughs> Gret took his wallet from his coat pocket, flicked past the many pictures of ham he had enjoyed over the years, <laughs> until he found the picture he was looking for. There she is, said Gret, holding his wallet out to Ben Shillito. I forgot to take any pictures of her while she was alive, so this, <laughs> this is a photo of her coffin. <laughs> yes, well, said Ben. My wife wanted to be here to meet you herself, but she's a little busy putting hats on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> she's putting hats on the dog, Gret repeated. Yes, although... That is a euphemism, of course. Ah. A mephemism? <laughs> it's my wife's job to dispose of dissidents. Oh my God. She does enjoy a little violent murder first thing in the morning, but it's hardly a suitable subject for the breakfast table. So she says, I'm just off out to put hats on the dog. And I know she means disembowel people. <laughs> what a healthy marriage you don't have, said Gret. <laughs> She's very much looking forward to eviscerating you later, said Ben Shillito. Sounds saucy. I hope she gives me a good eviscerating, like an eviscerating of 10 out of 10 for being better looking than a stupid dwarf of a husband. Ah, yeah. And better dressed. Shillito, you wanker. <laughs> and better dressed and better brainful. No, hang on. Better think man. No, better head potato. Oh, what's the word? More intelligent. <laughs> that's the one. More intelligent. And that's what I am, because of my much gooder neck noggin. <laughs> yeah. Ben Shillito stepped into the blue elevator and Gret Binchleaf squeezed in after him. Hmm. Where are we going, Ben Shillitich? <laughs> we are going to the very bottom, to the place where there is no more down. Ben pressed a large button at the bottom of the control panel. We're going to the underworld. <laughs> Ten only minutes later, Three. the elevator doors opened onto a wide subterranean chamber which had thick metal supports holding the roof up and a creaky conveyor belt removing debris. More notable, however, was the enormous three-headed dog with a massive <gasps> drill. Fuck. Oh, it's about time you arrived, <laughs> said one of its heads while the other two focused on drilling into the rock at their feet. Uh, we're almost there. A drilling dog, said <laughs> Like in my crab dream, but this one's real. Uh, Thoroughly real, said Ben. And he works for me. <sighs> uh, 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 with you, I think you'll find, mm. said the only one of the dog's heads that was speaking for some reason. 
I'm not working for you. You try throwing a stick for me, or, or making me sniff for bombs, or, or forcing me to lead a blind person about the place. Then we'll see who works for who. I'll bite your head off, you jumped up twazzock. <laughs> and since I've got three heads, I'll bite it off three times. Yes. Why are you working with this very bad dog? Asked Gret. And what's he drilling for? The dwarf gave a little smile, as though relishing the chance to talk about himself again, then said, If I'm being honest, and I am being honest, ruling the world has become tiresome. Everyone does exactly what I say. It's boring. I've conquered everywhere and everyone, and there's nowhere left to invade and overpower. At least... I thought there wasn't, until Joost Verbedoog told me about the underworld, which is full of unruly souls and ghosts and spooky woo-woos. Gret took his hat off. Spooky woo-woos, he said. Is that their official name? That's not important. The point is... Hell is an unconquered realm with a population of billions, Mm. every one of whom will bow before me, Gret Binchleaf. They didn't bow before Gret Binchleaf last time I was there, Hmm. said Gret. They shoved things up my bum and made me eat babies. (laughs) It wasn't, he didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't his choice. You just like that's a reveal. Oh yeah, that's what he says. Oh, <laughs> yeah, who no, knows? no, no, I believe. I believe yeah, he's enough. a very convincing character. Oh, yeah. he's, um, he's honest. He's honest. As he the days he, he is often very honest. Yeah. And once I've drilled into hell and become its master, <laughs> said Ben, ignoring him, <laughs> I'll drill to heaven and usurp God. <laughs> yeah, great drill to heaven. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like an excellent plan. Yeah, yeah, it does. What I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> is, that's definitely I would see nothing wrong. What I don't, <laughs> what I don't understand is why is the dog helping you? <laughs> the dog is my servant," said Ben. "The dog does what I say." We'll see about that," said the dog, and ate Ben Shillito. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Shit, Ben Shillito. Mm-hmm. Shit. Thank goodness for that," said Gret. "I was getting really sick of that stupid dwarf." <laughs> Now tell me, Mr. Dog, why are you drilling underneath London? Yeah. I- I'm trying to get home, said the dog. Seriously, I make one mistake and Satan exiles me to Uranus. One mistake! And Satan says, there you go, Joost Verbadoch. You live on Uranus now. Let's see you fetch yourself back from there, you three-headed pillock. Brilliant. Is Joost Verbadoch, uh like, foreign for Cerberus or something? Uh, no, it's just a name I made up. Oh. It's Verbidoke because... But you very... didn't Google it, then? No, it's a very bad dog. Very, but... very poor... It's just a, um, a like word a that sounds like... there. <laughs> very poor research from Rufus um, Benzance. Although I did, seriously, because I was doing playing with Dutch, I did seriously consider calling this Gret Binchleaf uh, en het avontour von en slechte hond, uh, which would be... Would have been very uh, clever. I, <laughs> very I, bad I, dog I, in Dutch. Yeah. Uh, or at least bad dog, anyway. Um, but I decided not to. But, um, no, I just... Verbidoke because it's a very bad dog. Uh, it's just a, it's a Dutch. It's not Dutch at all. It's a, a dog in Dutch is hond, not doog. It's just um, it's just a gag. It's not in any way bilingual. <laughs> Joost is a Dutch name. Verbedoog is something I made up. Okay. Right. Let's see you fetch yourself back from there, you three-headed pillock. Hmm. But you did find your way back, said Gret. You tricked me into bringing Professor Doctor Who's TARDIS. Cardis. Uh, corrected the dog whatever you tricked me into bringing you a spaceship and then you stole it to come back to earth 
Yeah, and you might have told me it was a time machine as well. I only got back three weeks ago, <laughs> said the dog. I bet Satan's been really missing me. I, I am his best friend after all. I, I bet he regrets sending me to Uranus. I bet he cries every night looking at a picture of me, saying, Oh, Joost Verbadoch, you were... <laughs> You were such a good dog, and I didn't appreciate you. Come home and I'll let you sleep on the bed and nibble my biscuits. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the mistake you made, asked Grip? The one that got you sent to Uranus. OK, here's the plot. It was my... <laughs> Finally. It was my job to guard the gates of hell, but I let someone escape. Oh, fuck. The drilling seemed to intensify in volume, and Grip felt the ground vibrate. Someone called... Gret Binchleaf, <gasps> added the dog. Wobble, wobble, what now? <laughs> Said Gret, because I couldn't think of a joke for this line, so I thought I'd write wobble, wobble, what now and hope it'd be enough. Yeah. It was all your fault that I got stuck on Uranus, so I decided to get revenge. When I realised that some twazak on Earth could hear me with his stupid radio knob brain, I decided to name drop Professor Doctor Who and get her to come to Uranus in the CARDIS. But then I thought... Why don't I get Gret Binchleaf involved as well? He could be stranded on Uranus like I've been. Professor Doctor Who said you used me because no one knows her name. Isn't it Buckroy Dunderfar? <laughs> said the dog. That's what I thought, <laughs> said Gret. It doesn't matter. I would have said <laughs> Professor Doctor Who and that would have worked. But I wanted you, Gret Binchleaf. That's why I made such a convoluted and frankly quite ridiculous plan. My goodness, said Gret. You really are a very bad dog. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you escaped, didn't you? Said the dog. So now I have to get revenge some other way. And you're just in time. Oh, no! The dog leaned into the drill, giving it one last great push, and the ground cracked at their feet. The thick bedrock split apart, and clouds of sulphurous smoke whomped out and into their faces. Gret's eyes streamed with painful tears, and his nose dribbled snot like a broken tap in a filthy bathroom. Hell hath no fury like a dog scorned, said Gret, and tugged his cuffs. Out from under his coat so he could wipe his eyes with them. Mm. Then he peered through the thinning smog to see a huge iron gateway, and emerging from it, a figure, tall, wearing blood-red robes, and with enormous head horns. Satan, <gasps> said Gret. Master, said the very bad dog. Gret Binchleaf, said the Prince of Darkness. And just in time for dinner. I hope you're in the mood for stir-fried babies. Yes. Will Gret Binchleaf be able to escape from hell a second time and with no help from a magic genie? Will Satan welcome Joost Verbadoch or will he send him straight back to Uranus? And how many Howards does it take to write a dead good Gret Binchleaf chapter? Is it one? Find out yes in chapter five of Gret Binchleaf and the adventure of the very bad dog. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Worst Writer in the World. If you enjoyed it and would like to listen to more of us kind of guffing around and being stupid, mm -hmm. then why not join our secret gang for as little as $2 a month? Mm. And if you join this month, yeah. April mm -hmm. is Rubbish Writer Month, <gasps> which means we are inviting our Patreon subscribers to send us things that they wrote when they were kids or things that they wrote recently so that we can read them and kind of treat them in the same way that we do Howard stories on this show. Oh, by, which, wow. by which I mean 
be really, really mean about them. <laughs> <laughs> so if I want to join, if I join now, I can st- I can still join in with that, can I? You could, yeah. I mean, you get a choice. You join at two dollars, uh, and everyone's everyone in the gang is welcome. So you wow. just join at two dollars. You can watch the live streams and just enjoy them. Just sit back and enjoy all the different rubbish writing and, and us uh, reading it and being really nice about it, being mm-hmm. really supportive of people's work. <laughs> or yeah. yeah, you could get involved. You could get involved. You, you if you've got writing from when you were a kid mm-hmm. that you'd like to hear us read you could do that if not you can we can give you um, a challenge some writing prompts you can write a little thing and send us that and we'll be equally mean about it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah if you if you want to if you want to get more involved with the worst writer in the world this is your chance join now join today absolutely and if you're listening in the future if you like found this show in like may or june and you're going oh i just missed it i'm so upset i would have loved to be part of that rubbish writer month because i'm a rubbish writer (laughs) (laughs) well this is something we do quite regularly Mm. like at least once a year often twice a year we have some kind of writing challenge for our patrons and so join and get involved with the next one it's going to be happening soon yeah well, that all sounds pretty amazing, but I tell you what, if you join the Secret Gang, mm. you don't only get access to Rubbish Writer Month, you also get access to an enormous amount of um, our back catalogue. It's like six years of stuff that we've so been up- uploading, stuff. right? For example, you could right now listen to a different Gret Pinchleaf book. Mm-hmm. In fact, you could listen to loads of them because we've written a ton. <laughs> but one, one for example, one of our perhaps you might even say best Gret Pinchleaf books that is not publicly available, called Gret Pinchleaf and the Adventure of the Glow in the Dark Chickens, <gasps> in which Gret Pinchleaf accidentally finds himself in a magical children's storybook world mm. with uh, a character called Henrietta and another one called Dagenham, whose voice you might recognise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, would you like to hear a few extracts from that book to whet your appetite, Howard? Yes, please. If you're enjoying this Gret Pinchleaf adventure, there are many more exclusively available from patreon.com forward slash man by cow. Gret Pinchleaf, the irresistible man muffin and world's greatest detective... According to the May 1986 edition of Brillo Dillo Detective magazine, <laughs> there are already seven books and many short stories available, and we're writing more all the time. Hello, this is Gret Binchleaf, unstoppable sex smorgasbord and world's greatest detective. Yes, I can prove it. I've got the magazine cover on my office wall. <laughs> Gret smiled at the framed cover of Brillo Dillo Detective magazine, his proudest session. And despite its age, it still looked as bright and colourful as the day he'd drawn it. (laughs) Probably because he'd used such expensive crayons. (laughs) For just $2, you can immediately download or stream Gret Pinchleaf and the Adventure of the -the Glow-in-the-Dark Chickens, starring Henrietta and Dagenham the Tree Pig. My name is Dagenham. How nice of you to be interested, he said, apparently not caring what Henrietta's name was. This made Henrietta feel a little cheesed off, but she knew it would be wrong to show it, so she did her best to appear cheesed on. (laughs) A 12-chapter story in which Gret travels to the magical land of Underspace. Underspace? Yes. You've heard of Outerspace, of course. Yes, 
that's where aliens come from. My teacher, Mr. Pillock, says that sometimes aliens land their spaceships on Earth to stock up on crisps and toilet paper. And crispy toilet paper, which aliens use because they have crispy bumholes that bum crisps come out of. Sign up for $2 and get immediate access to this and other Greg Binchleaf stories, as well as all episodes of Man by Cow and much, much more. I'll tell you what I think, said Gret. I think if you give a man a chip, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to chip, you feed him for a lifetime. Greg Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Glow in the Dark Chickens, available now from patreon.com forward slash man by cow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye bye, milk. Bye bye, milk. He's a stupid, suck-ass, rubbish writer.